0: Well, I want to say this morning that, um, one, th- thank you, um, we, I, I never do well, you would know, think for someone who speaks in front of people, they would do fine in front of people, but I really always am uncomfortable with it, to be honest, um, but thank you for your, um, we feel appreciated here, and, uh, I don't say, like, your family anymore, your church family, because I don't think it is, I hope it's ours, um, so thank you, um, that's all I'll say. Um, just want to remind you that baptism is coming up, and if you haven't been baptized and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to be baptized. Um, there are two things that that scriptures talk about. And there are two things we call sacraments or or means of grace in the church, and one is the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or the table or whatever you would call it, and and we take that the first of every month. The name is baptism, and in truth, you really don't have to to do it once in your life. But if you've never been baptized, we'd love for you to be baptized. And so, please talk to me or Pastor Marcy about that. And and so, I, I heard good things um, about Pastor Marcy last week, and that's always good. And and um, I always feel weird when I'm not here; it's just an awkward feeling. And uh, so, I, I should say that last week we were we were on vacation, and and it's weird when you have a birthday and. And I ran a half marathon for my birthday, and I found out I'm older and slower, um, and it takes longer to recover. It's a great combination. Um, I found out I also have more gray hair than I used to, and I, I'm showing that on a regular basis. But, but I find that, that last week was supposed to be this time we were going to spend on the beach at Katie's aunt's house, and instead it rained every day, and it was cold and windy. Uh, it was great. Um, I had all these plans of reading on the back deck, and i read on the back deck for 10 minutes the whole week. And um, so I, we did have a good time, and so it's always fun to be back. It was fun because last Saturday, Isaac has run this same race for four years now, and for the first time, he finished by himself. And um, it's a quarter mile, and so by the time he got to the end of it, he was about three quarters or halfway down, and he goes, Dad. So I kind of run with him, and he goes, I said, what? And he goes, I'm just so thirsty. I said, you're almost done. And he finished, and he got a Popsicle and a chocolate milk, so it was great. Um, but last week, I didn't. Planned very well for packing clothing. I, I only packed one sweatshirt, one pair of pants and one jacket. And I told you it was cold and rained every day. It didn't break 65 other than one day. Um, so I wore a sweatshirt pretty much every day and, and uh, just kept washing it. And, and what, I, what I found is that I, I, maybe you're like me, but there aren't very many people who don't like to wear a sweatshirt. I've yet to meet very many people who just say, oh, I don't like them. But it made me think of fall, and what comes in fall is football season, and, and I'm kind of excited about that. I mean, I'm a little bit disappointed this year because I don't have the opportunity to watch Notre Dame beat Michigan, um, but uh, um, I, I get to watch the Colts play on Sunday, although living here they show the Lions all the time, I don't know why. Um, but in truth, if I'm honest, I, I do enjoy watching Michigan State play, and and I even enjoy, it. we'll, we'll I might be even a small closet Michigan fan this year because I'm a big fan of Jim Harbaugh because he was the, the Colts quarterback for a number of years, and, and uh, so that, that makes him okay with me. Um, but I started thinking about how many hours I'll spend watching football this fall, and and um, it's a lot, and, and I started thinking about how many of us that's what we'll do, and, and I started thinking about how how we just sometimes spend lots of times on all kinds of things, and maybe it's your cell phone, and, and we didn't have cell phone reception really last week, so if you called and I didn't call you back, uh, it wasn't personal, at least that's what I'm going to tell you. And, um, but, I, but I began to ask these kind of questions of myself and, and these kind of things, uh, and I, don't, I ask them somewhat jokingly, but, but there's a little bit of seriousness to them. It, is this, is my family more shaped by football than faith, or faith over football? Um, and you can substitute really anything you want for football. It's just an easy one because I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the football season. But, but I began thinking about the fact that I, I'm convinced that we shape our families um, with some type of worldview. And for the most part, moms and dads and sometimes grandparents shape that worldview of our children. And, and that really is one of the things that we always are doing. We, we determine what is the most important thing. And so the question is this, What stories shape your family? What stories shape your family? What stories shape my family? What stories shape our family together? And that really is kind of the, the question that's driving the whole series we've been, we've been looking at. You know, For two weeks, we looked at marriage. For, for a week, we looked at parenting. And last week, we talked about life together. And today, we talk about parenting. And next week, life together. But what I find is all throughout the scriptures that God desired for his people to be shaped by a story. And the story was to be about him, about following him, about being his people. But so often we found that that we read the scriptures and we see that they were shaped by other things. And so this morning, as we read from Joshua chapter 24, uh, the first 15 verses, Joshua's really trying to address this. He's bringing together a group of people saying, listen, what is the story that shapes us? What are we defined by? And so this is really what Joshua says in chapter 24, uh, the first 15 verses. I'll invite you to stand with me this morning as I read. Joshua 24, verse 1 says this. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites. Parasites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and you eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, I... I read this text and I have this picture in my head of Joshua bringing together the tribes of Israel. They've been wandering in the desert and they're entering into these lands which are not their own and yet they have been shaped by some competing stories. So Joshua begins this speech to them with these words saying they're from God but then he begins to tell a story that was familiar to them even if they didn't think about it all the time. He tells the story of Abraham. This man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, who were two old people. There's no other way to put it. They were old. And, and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and you're going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. And Abraham and Sarah are thinking, but we're really old. How are you going to do that? And God, because he is God and because he's faithful in ways that don't always make sense to us, he blesses them with a son. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And so God has done what only he could do. He gives a son to an old, barren couple. And then Jacob has Joseph. And the reason Joseph I don't think is talked about as the forefathers of Israel, and you may not like this or agree with me, and I don't really care, um, because I'm probably right on this. But the reason Joseph isn't talked real highly of among those people is is this, is that in the middle of the story, Joseph finds himself in Egypt, and you've heard the story, sold into slavery by his brothers. Goes to Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife tries to make a move, Joseph flees, just to find himself before the king, and he's to interpret this dream. and he interprets the dream correctly, he says this, there's going to be seven years of plenty in which there's going to be so much food that there's going to be a surplus, that if you will put aside the surplus of that seven years, it will cover you for the next seven years for the lean years. And in fact, Pharaoh, here's where I think Joseph screwed up. Joseph really could have said, Pharaoh, if you would save that food and you would give it away to people. You would be the greatest king that ever lived, and people would love you and honor you and respect you because of your benevolence. But that isn't what Joseph says. What Joseph says is, Pharaoh, if you hang on to all this stuff, there will be so much you'll have, and they'll have nothing. They will sell you their lands and everything they own and their cattle and everything, and it will all be yours. You will be the Lord over them, and you will own everything in, the, in all the land. And they'll be your servants, and you'll be their king. Now, see, I, I don't know if you noticed, but we read a passage earlier that said to, to take care of the widows and the orphans. See, God is always the God of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. And so Joseph's encouraging Pharaoh to be the opposite of who God is. God is a God of graciousness. And in this story, Joseph doesn't look all that gracious when we begin to look at it. Now, he was faithful, but what he could have said to Pharaoh, is Pharaoh, you could give this away. Or turn to a small percentage. Instead, he says, you can have it all. It's all yours. See, then we read the text today that that Joshua talks about, and he says, but Jacob went down to Egypt. And what we don't see in that is, but, but what it doesn't say, what's implied, is that it became easy for the Israelites in Egypt because Joseph was a favored son. And so they stayed, and they took what wasn't theirs, and they lived in a place that God didn't call them to. And as time passed, they should have left and gone home, but instead they stayed because it was easier than going home and what happens next is that a new pharaoh comes and you notice we never know pharaoh's name we never know pharaoh's name because pharaoh doesn't matter we find out the name of two hebrew midwives shifra and puah but we don't find out the name of pharaoh because pharaoh is like every other king he's like every other empire egypt is the same as every other empire that has ever existed it's about power and money It's about the oppression of other people to get more of what you want, and so we don't know Pharaoh's name. But a new Pharaoh comes who doesn't know who Joseph was, and this Pharaoh says, "I've got all these Hebrews. If we're not careful, they just keep multiplying. If they keep growing in number, they're going to be more than the Egyptians, and they're going to overthrow me. So you know what? I can't have that. Uh, Let's make them slaves. And so the Egyptians make the Hebrews slaves, and. 400 years passed, and people are crying out. And so sometimes I think we think God doesn't hear our prayers, but God always hears our prayers. He just doesn't always respond in the time we would like. And God finally responds to their prayers, and he says, listen, there's one among you who's going to lead you out. And so he calls Moses, and Moses finds himself in the desert, and before this burning bush, God says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses goes, whoa, 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 not me. And God says to Moses, do you think it was an accident? Do you think it was by happenstance that you were put in a basket, that you were found by Pharaoh's daughter, that you were raised in Pharaoh's household? Do you think it was an accident that that happened? I've called you, I've prepared you for this. This is what I want for you. I want you to lead my people. And he says, oh, not me. I, I'm a bad speaker. You know, I can't speak in public. I, you need someone else. And, and I'm sure God's saying, yeah, because you didn't take those rhetoric classes that they would make all the, the rich... Kingly family, take. You're lying to me, but whatever. Fine, you can have your, your brother Aaron. He can come speak for you. And Moses gives other excuses, and God keeps showing him. And eventually Moses agrees and finds himself before Pharaoh and says, Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, No. Uh, not going to happen. Your people are a source of economic wealth to me. They're not going anywhere. It's not going to happen. Moses says, listen, I don't think you understand. There's only one God, and it's not you. And Pharaoh goes, I don't think you understand. I'm God. There is no other God. Well, there are lots of gods, and they're not here. I am. And Moses says, okay, well, this isn't going to go well for you. Pharaoh says, let's see. So we see eventually what happens. We, know, we hear the stories of the plagues and eventually God's people, Moses comes before and he leads his people, God's people out into the desert, away from the Egyptians, out of oppression, out of slavery. They go out of Egypt. The problem for them is as they go into the desert, they go out of Egypt. Egypt never really left them. We see it not too long after when they're grumbling and saying, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt as slaves, we're so hungry. And God says, okay, well I'll, tell you, I'll provide you food. I'll give you what's called Manna. The sweet bread will come down, and every morning you pick it up, but take just enough for the day, because the next day I'll provide you more. And the people, because they lived in a place where you tried to hoard and you tried to build up storehouses, that's what Pharaoh did. Try tried to hoard it, so it's spoiled if they saved it for the next day. And, and then God says, you know what, in fact, on the sixth day, it's the only day you can take extra, but you take just enough for the next day. Because if you take enough for that day, then on the seventh day, I want you to rest. And so the truth is, for all of us, we need to find rest in our lives. And maybe for you, rest isn't Sunday. Maybe it's not Saturday. Whatever day you can find rest, I think God calls us all to be people who find a day of rest. As they find themselves, they get this food and they say, listen, this bread, oh, it's not that good. We need more. And so they give some quail. And then they're complaining because they're thirsty. And he strikes a rock and water comes out. And God does all these incredible things in the desert to say, listen, I am God. Yet the problem for the people is the people are out of Egypt, but Egypt isn't out of them. They're still shaped by the world in which they left. They're still shaped by the principalities and powers of the Egyptian world. They're still shaped by power and oppression and corruption. And they're wooed by the other gods of the other people. They find themselves moving into lands. And so Joshua stands before them all and says, Listen, I don't think you get it. I want to say to you today that these stories are about us coming out of Egypt and about Egypt coming out of us. Especially for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And I got a feeling this text from Deuteronomy chapter 6 was shared among them. And here's what Moses said to the people as he had gone up on Mount. He'd come down, and I, I skipped a whole great story. Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai, and while he was up there, the people had wondered so much so that they said to Aaron, you know what, we, Moses may never come back, we don't know what's going on with God, he may not even be real, so we need something else, and so Aaron collects all the gold, and they throw it in this fire, and they build a calf, and Moses comes down, and he's irate, which is understandable, and Aaron goes, well, Moses, I don't know what happened, Aaron's kind of a Weasley figure in this story, he goes, "I, I don't really know what happened, we just threw all this gold in the fire, and this golden calf just popped out. I've I don't think that happens. Um, and Moses says, don't you get it? Don't you know that God wants to know you? And the whole reason he gave me these laws and these rules for us to live by is because God wants to know you. It's this whole song that we sang, how deep the Father's love for us. that he frees us from slavery because God doesn't desire for anyone to be oppressed. Whether it's the sinfulness in their own life or any other kind of oppression, God desires freedom for us all. And so I got a feeling that as Joshua was standing before the people, if it wasn't said, it was thought of these words of Moses from Deuteronomy chapter chapter 6. And here's what it says. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And hear this part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, this is called the Great Shema. This is the the call of parents to be the primary disciplers in their homes. See, one of the things that we sometimes miss is is that... um, Write them on their hearts. Write it on their hearts is what what Moses said there. This idea of what stories shape your family. What are the things that shape your home? Joshua is standing before people saying, listen, you know the words of Moses that says these laws, these commandments, this way, in other words, follow after God. And we would say this that we can't say yet in this text. We would say, follow Jesus. Be his disciples. My primary role as a parent, your primary role as a parent or grandparent or even as a part of the church, is to help disciple others. There's no greater role anyone plays in the discipling of children. See, I think one of the things that we miss is this idea that this story was to be marked in their lives. It was to mark everything about them, The story of God as the guide of the Redeemer of the oppressed. That God is near to the brokenhearted. That God comes and he rescues us from the oppression in our lives. And he wants to set us free. But he sets us free in a relationship with him. And in this relationship, we seek to follow after him and to serve him. So Joshua ended this section with, Choose today whom you will serve. He's talking to people free from slavery who have come out of Egypt, but haven't necessarily let Egypt come out of them. See, I don't know what parts of Egypt are in each of us in this room, but I think there are things in our lives that we have maybe walked away from, but they have still hold a part of our heart that they shouldn't. We live in a world of competing worldviews. See, the reality for us is that there are things that are culturally acceptable or a part of being American a part of being whatever country you want to name in the world that don't necessarily fit with what it means to be part of God's kingdom. There are systems in place in the world in which you live that don't fit with what it means to follow after Jesus. So I don't know what the worldview is that shapes your family. I don't know if your worldview of your family is shaped around economics or finances in some way. I don't know if your family is shaped around education and that's the primary thing in your family. I don't know if it's centered around politics at the dinner table. And I'll say this about politics. This is a side note. Um, that I'll say over the next year, you'll probably hear this several times, that if Christians spent as much time trying to be better disciples of Jesus and trying to know him more and help their neighbors to know him more, as they did talking about politics and who to vote for, then they would radically transform the world and politics wouldn't matter. I'm going to say that again because that's really, really good. If those who called themselves followers of Jesus spent as much time following Jesus as they do talking about politics, They radically transform their own lives and the lives of others they come to know, and the world would be so radically transformed that politics would not matter. It's about your worldview. It's about what's central to your life. It's about this idea of what is it that's primary in your home and your family. And so I, I talked about football earlier, and so I'm going to pick on those of us who are football fans for just a moment. Don't worry, I'll pick on some other people too. But I just did some rough math this morning as I was thinking about this. And so I'm a big fan of one college football team and and really, really one professional team. And so if I was able to watch every game that they play, 12 college games, I'm not including bowl games or playoffs in the NFL, that's 12 college games and 16 NFL games, that turns out to be roughly 84 hours of college football in the fall. And that's probably low for most people that are actual college football or football fans in general. So I thought, well, some of you are going, I don't watch football, so that takes me off the list. Don't worry, I'm not done. If you watch a television show and you watch a season, most seasons are 22 episodes long. And so let's say you don't watch any commercials, you only watch the 44 minutes of the show. Um, You would spend in one television season 16.13 hours watching that one show. And let's be honest, most people don't watch just one show. In fact, the average American watches 34 hours of television per week. And that's the low number I found. You can Google all this stuff later and check and see if I'm right or not. But that's just watching TV. I could throw in all kinds of activities. I could throw in shopping. Some of you spend hours at a mall. If you have a smartphone, this one's depressing for some of you. Um, The average person with a smartphone spends two hours and 57 minutes a day on their phone. Some of you have been on your phones most of the time we've been in the service. Two hours and 57 minutes a day. That's 21 hours a week. You can do the math if you want to do more. I talk about youth sports, and I want to be careful, because I, I think sometimes people hear this go, oh, you know, if you're Christian, you can't play youth sports. And, and some have taken that stance, and I'm not one of them, or or banned or whatever. I, I grew up playing all kinds of sports, and uh, what I'll say that I was so grateful to my parents is that I played everything I wanted to play. I was fortunate to play on all kinds of different teams. that played at all kinds of um, places and, and days of the week, and... Um, I never had to choose whether I wanted to play sports or go to church. But I'll tell you this, I went to church in cities around the Midwest that weren't where I normally went to church, but I was there on a Sunday. And if I missed Sunday morning, I was Sunday night somewhere. Even if it wasn't my own church, it was somewhere else. Because my parents never wanted me to think for a moment. In fact, I never thought for a second. I knew what was most important in our house. Because even if we missed a Sunday, or even if something else came up, I always knew that the most important thing in our house was following Jesus. See, my parents did force me to go to church. I'm not going to act like I didn't get forced because it wasn't a choice. You were a Gregory and the Gregories go to church. That's what we do. And if you think you're going to do something else on Sunday, you are dead wrong. Good luck with that. But I'll tell you this today, that that what made it successful for them wasn't that they forced us to go to church. It was that my mom and dad modeled, even with lots of screw-ups, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that was their primary goal. So you say, well, I don't want my kids to be wayward. I'll tell you that I had a brother who for a long time um, didn't want much to do with the church. But I can tell you today that all the kids that grew up in that house are a part of a church somewhere right now and involved in all trying to be better followers of Jesus. Perfection, no, but trying to follow him, yes. See, I'm convinced that the reason kids don't want to go to church when they grow up isn't because they were forced to go. It's because that they saw two different things. I saw the mom and dad who went to church on Sunday and the mom and dad who worked differently everywhere else. See, I want to say this, that I think the most important role of parent is to disciple your children, but it's to model what it looks like to love Jesus, to follow him, to serve him. And so for my kids, if they don't have a choice, it's what Gregory's do. And I started thinking about for some of us, we, we haven't had great models of that and so we don't know what that looks like and I started thinking about my friend Jason. Jason grew up in a pretty broken home. Um, by the time he was 14, he'd moved several times. He was living with his aunt at the time. And Jason's aunt didn't know what to do with this 14-year-old boy, but she knew he needed something in his life, but she didn't really know what. And so she knew she went to Sunday school as a kid and thought it was a pretty good idea, so she just dropped him off at one church on uh, some random Sunday morning. Um, he, he didn't know where he was going or why he was going to church, but she just dropped him there. So this 14-year-old kid who didn't want to be at church finds himself at church, and, and Fred comes up to him and says, uh, you look a little lost. Can I help you? I, said, I don't know. My, my aunt told me i to go to Sunday school. I don't even know what Sunday school is. And, and he said, well, that's okay. Here, come with me. The service is over that day. He said to, Fred said to Jason, Jason, do you, do you want to come home for lunch? This is my wife and my daughter. Would you like to come to eat lunch with our family today? So I don't know. He said, well, let, let's call your aunt and see if that's Okay. So he calls his aunt and she says, I don't care, it's fine. And it's one less mouth for her to have to feed at home. Jason goes home with Fred and eats lunch and, and, um, and Fred says, uh, do you, you like horses? Do you want to ride horses? I've got horses. Let's, let's go ride horses. She rides horses, spends the afternoon riding horses and hanging out with Fred and his family. Fred takes him home and says, well, i see you next Sunday. He says, so next Sunday the invitation is for you to come to lunch again. He says, yeah, I'll come ride horses next Sunday. That sounds like fun. Next Sunday, Jason goes to Fred's house again, and the Sunday after that, and the fourth Sunday after that, at the end of the day, Fred comes up to Jason and says, Jason, um, two things I want to tell you, that my life is defined by this phrase, Jesus is Lord. And second, um, because of that phrase, I want to know if if you want to live with us. I'll go talk to your aunt um, today if you want to. Sure enough, his aunt said, that's fine, you can go live there. Jason, and he said, oh, by the way, Jason, I don't want you to have to switch schools. Uh, Jason played baseball, and he said, you you don't have to switch. I, I will take you to school one hour the wrong way, as he was a professor at a college in another town. He drove one hour the wrong way every morning to take Jason to school. And drove one hour the wrong way every day to make sure he was there when practice got over. For years. And Fred kept saying to Jason, Jason, don't forget Jesus is Lord. Well, Jason went off to college, and when he was at college, he came home after the first semester and went to Fred's house, and he was there, and Jason's buddies started talking about Janelle, Fred's daughter, and, and Jason didn't like it very much and thought, you know what? I don't want them to date her, but I guess that means I should. So he did. He ended up marrying Fred's daughter. A few years passed, and Janelle's pregnant, and it's not going well. In fact, the doctors are there at the hospital and say, Jason, um, we're we'll doing everything we can. We're not sure she's going to make it or the baby's going to make it. We're not sure yet. It's, it's kind of touch and go right now. And Jason said, I was just crying, and Fred came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Jason, don't you forget. Jesus is Lord. See, I think sometimes we miss this idea that if we really want to say Jesus is Lord, it needs to be the primary shaping thing of our family. And if the church isn't the primary shaper of your family beyond your home, then what is? Because something is. Is it football? Is it shopping? Is it some television show? Is it your smartphone? See, for each of us, we have to decide whom this day we will serve whether we'll serve all the other gods, whether we'll be the people that Egypt hasn't come out of us, but we've come out of Egypt, or we'll be the people who say, this day, this day I will serve the Lord. At this time, I've asked somebody, if there's some cards that the ushers would pass out. Everybody gets a card. Um, everybody who's here today gets the card. When you get your card, I want you to write a question on one side. Write um, at the top, because you may write underneath it. Um, Give you a couple seconds to get the cards. By the way, as you're, as you're feeling this out, I left out something that I thought I'd tell you. I was telling you all the hours the other day, or a few moments ago, of the average spend per day doing whatever. The average person who's a churchgoer attends church one and a half times per month. Um, for a total of 18 hours per year, if you attend there for one hour each time. It's 27 hours a year if you're there for an hour and a half on that time you attend. So let's say you're one of those people who attends every single week and you never miss a Sunday. I can't even say that. I was gone last week. And that's 52 Sundays a year and the average church service is about an hour. That's 52 hours a year. Most people watch more football in the fall than they do attend church or participate in some kind of religious activity. So this is why I ask you the question, what shapes you? What shapes our families? What is the primary shaper of our family? It's why I ask the question, if it isn't the church, then what is it? Because I can tell you this, if the church or God only has 52 hours of your life per year, that you're not going to be shaped by him. If you don't find ways for your days to begin with Jesus or to end with Jesus, if you don't find ways for the scripture to come alive in your life, if you don't find ways for your children to hear the words of God, if you don't find ways for you to be immersed in what it means to follow Jesus, then I can tell you this, the primary shaper of you will not be Christ. And so if it isn't the church, then what is it? So the question I want you to write on the one side of the card at the top is this. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. I don't know the answer to that question for you. I can't give you the answer to that question. My hope is that you will choose Jesus with your life, and you'll figure out what it looks like to follow after him. And so why don't you to say on the back side of this card? Um, by the way, if you're not a Christian today and you're not sure you want to be, then you can just say, "Not him." That, that's your answer. On the right, back of the card, I want you to put this at the top. It says, "Here is how we will serve. Here is how we will serve." So on one side it says, choose this day whom you will serve. On the other side it says, here is how we will serve. The reality for each of us is we answer this question every single day. Both of them, every single day we answer these questions. And so my challenge for you is to put this someplace, put it on the bathroom mirror, put it on your car dashboard, and answer the questions. See, we, we as a church are trying to figure out how we can come alongside one another um, because the truth is we can say we want to serve Jesus but if we have no plan then we're never going to get there we're never going to figure out what it looks like and so our church is committed to helping families um, and individuals follow the Lord we're committed to figuring out what it looks like together for us to know Jesus what it looks like for us together to say "We want my, I want the response from my family to, to say as for me and my household we will serve the Lord that's our goal, is for you to be able to say that in your homes. And we want to help come alongside and help you do that, because the primary role of parents is to disciple their children. It isn't the church's job, and we do it together, but it is the primary role of moms and dads. Church influences that. The church comes alongside. We work together. It isn't, it isn't that you're left alone to figure out what that looks like. That's so why this fall, some of you are already involved in, in some kind of community group, but we're going to relaunch community groups again in the fall, and Denise will be talking more about that in days to come, and It's why we we want to work hard at trying to help you know what it looks like to follow Jesus because we want so desperately for your kids and for mine, for our kids together to follow Jesus with their lives. And so as mothers and fathers and grandparents, it's our role to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And by the way, the the reason the question is choose this day whom you will serve is because we can't go back. We can't go back and say, I wish I had served the Lord yesterday. We can't say, I wish I could go back to when my kids were little. We can't say, I wish I could go back to when we first got married. We can't say, I wish I could go back. But what I can say is, from this day forward, I'll choose to serve the Lord. So Joshua, as he gathered everybody together, he said this, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Father, we help us in these moments. We help us to be people who choose you, day in and day out. We help us to be people who choose you in every aspect of our lives. Will you help us to be the kind of people that are so radically defined by your love and your grace that our children will never question what's primary in our lives, that they'll never question what shapes us, what story is central to who we are? I mean, your church not even just this local church, but may your church shape us and mold us so that we begin to look more and more like your son, Jesus. And may we serve you, saying with our lives, Jesus is Lord. I pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?